In this episode, we sit down with Lori Gagnon of the Aurora Institute. While the conversation was originally planned to just be a one-on-one between our Rachel Lorch and Lori, the conversation drifted to topics so inspiring that other folks in the room, such as the EdTech Evidence Exchange's Christine Tomasic, couldn't help but chime in. You might hear her pipe up here and there in this conversation. In any case, this is a wide-reaching discussion, and I hope you enjoy. Welcome. Today, I am here with Lori Gagnon from Aurora Institute. Lori, would you mind to introduce yourself and for anybody who may not be familiar with the Institute, could you give a quick background on Aurora Institute? Sure. Thank you. So my name is Lori Gagno and I am the director of the Competency Works program within Aurora Institute. And our organization is about 20 years old and really in the last just over a decade has really been developing as a nonprofit leader in the field of transformative education systems. People may know us originally as NACOL or INACOL. The focus was on online learning as a way for learning can take place anywhere at any time. That was really the origins of it. That was always important. And it also became clear that it is more more than just the form. And it is really about the larger purpose of education. And so that drew us into this larger effort around personalized competency-based education and transformative practices and policies and what it really means to change the ecosystem of learning. So about 2017, the board started to formalize this shift and then adopted a new mission, vision, and values for the organization. So our mission now is to drive the transformation of um, education systems through the acceleration of an advancement of breakthrough policies and practices that ensure high-quality learning for all. Wonderful. And I think you set up the next question well, um, which was if you could talk about what are some of the key trends you see in education innovation and 2023? Yeah, it's a great question. And there's always things are trending, but they're not always new, but sometimes we're seeing them with new eyes. So one thing that's really, and these are like related, but really thinking about, again, where can learning take place? So this is, again, not new. We knew learning could take place at any time, anywhere, anytime, anyplace. And the pandemic really underscored that that was true. So I think that even though there's a little bit of a sense that even if the normal business as usual, we knew was not working for all kids, it feels like some people have been like, oh, but it feels a little bit safe. So it's kind of an interesting trend of how will we learn these lessons? But there is a lot of talk about work-based learning and how do we make that accessible to all kids in high school and in higher ed and thinking about how do we really clearly support what are the goals for that? What are these broader skills and dispositions that kids are learning through that? And how do we prepare them for success? How can we create more paid work-based learning experiences Mm -hmm. so that there's accessibility? And, you know, I think that is also part of a broader, like, how do we really connect kids to the purpose of their learning and where it can take them? So dual enrollment, multiple pathways, really thinking about how do we make school relevant? Mm -hmm. So, you know, when you think then about implications, you can then also think about, well, we, we need a broader definition of success. Like what kids need to succeed in the future is different than what it was. I mean, even like in the last few months, right? Like AI, like really taking off and really showing like you can't have one right answer. It's not about one right answer, right? It's about how you use knowledge, how you 
take different perspectives on a problem and come up with solutions, how you like listen to people and figure out what they need in a solution. Those are skills that feel, sometimes they're called soft skills. They might feel hard to like assess and teach, but it's possible, right? It's possible to articulate what that looks like and how you break it down and how you show that. And so I think those broader definitions of success is another trend. And you see it in like states or districts or schools defining their profile of a graduate um, where they're in an ideal form, right? Engaging like a really broad array of stakeholders and saying, what do you want? Who do you want your kids to be? It is what, what do you want them to know? You need to think about something, right? So you need still some knowledge there, but it isn't just about, you know, that knowledge is accessible everywhere. It's not like you need it from the teacher or you have to go get the book in the library. It's much more open. So then you need this broader set of skills, right? You need to be able to think about that and navigate it. You need to be able to work with people and understand how to navigate conflict and how to, all those social emotional skills of like, how do you know yourself and how do you set goals? How do you know how to build on your strengths? How do you know how to work on your weaknesses or areas of growth? So all of those are being incorporated into these profiles of a graduate and then their implications, right? So that could be a beautiful poster on the wall, but it also can be, how kids are learning in schools. Um, So I think that that's a big trend that has lots of implications. And I would say like things like assessment. Well, that's kind of my origins in this. So I think assessment is always trending. (laughs) But like, let's reclaim assessment not to be like the external standardized test that is for somebody else, but is like our evidence of knowing. How do I as a learner know where I am? What is my evidence for what I know and can do and how I'm learning and growing? And how do we use that every day, right? Mm -hmm. So I think that that's another kind of piece of like rethinking that then has implications for how do we teach? How do we offer more choice in the curriculum so that there isn't just one path? And then on the other side, how do we use that evidence that is from the learner, from the school to rethink our systems of accountability to say, can it be more about like reciprocal responsibility where we're working together to support each other in really making sure that we're serving every every learner? And I think like, really thinking about modernizing the educator workforce. Mm -hmm. Um, We're seeing teachers leaving in unprecedented numbers, but also like these changes require a rethinking of the roles Mm -hmm. of educators, right? Like how are we supporting kids? How are we building partnerships with the wider community to support things like work-based learning? How are we communicating the value that, that is there? Who can be an educator and how can we kind of rethink ways that people can be supporting our young people and becoming ready for their futures. It makes me think about something we heard in one of our earlier conversations about the the broader definition that you were talking about and connecting, making school relevant to students and what are the options for them post-graduation. And one of our guests was talking about, you know, you've got college career and you've got service and you think about AmeriCorps, for example, and when you're talking about creating the pathways and having young people see themselves in, in other places and multi-generational opportunities to connect the community and create this pathway and this pipeline into what's next for you after high school. I think it is trending. You keep setting me up very well for for coming (laughs) questions. Could you say a little bit more about um, how we might rethink policies to support future-focused and next-generation learning? Absolutely. There are lots of different entry points into how policy can support practice. And these, I think, work 
together, right? At a broad sense, I mean, a lot of this, there are technical things that need to happen, but there's also a lot of like mindset and mental model shifts, right? We think we have a very strong paradigm of like school, I think, in the United States. We all went to school. We're all basically okay. So that's what school is. And how do we how do we nudge that a little bit to think like, well, what what is the world that we're preparing kids for? And how do we how do we have school that fits that? So on the policy front, one of the big things in state policy, and there's like actually a good amount of movement in the last 10 or so years on this, is defining what a credit is, mm-hmm. right? And if it's solely defined by seat time and a number of hours, that boxes people in. So then you're kind of keeping, you want to open up some space for any time, any place learning, but you're trying to like fit into this seat time box. And fundamentally, like when we think about transforming systems and competency-based education, it is redesigning around actual learning, evidence of learning instead of around time. Mm -hmm. So that instead of, okay, you've been here for a year in this grade in the subject and you've demonstrated you got a 70 or an 80%, you're good to go, move on because, you know, it's the next year, you hit your next birthday. Instead, we're saying, where are you at in your learning? What's that 20 or 30% that you missed? Mm -hmm. Um, And did you get that 70% because you understand 70% of the material or because you did your homework and you raised your hand, you were compliant. So how do we actually redesign around what kids actually know and make sure that the things that are most important are things that we're not going to let you move on without getting those foundations? Um, And that really means like being clear on what's essential, right? And how do we really know what that looks like? So how do you then have credit flexibility, right? So that you can award credit based on demonstration of competency or proficiency. There's lots of different terms in the field. I think sometimes that can be a challenge. I think redefining success as we talked about. So states are setting model or state profiles of a graduate that then can signal like, oh, we want this broader set of skills and dispositions in addition to just traditional academic knowledge. And then supporting them, well, what does that look like to to start to implement? So when you get into that support, well, there could be more policy places like rethinking graduation requirements. New Mexico is like working on incorporating capstone, for example, as a graduation requirement so that there's more authentic assessment as part of that, more space for those multiple pathways. And there are states that are then doing things like having inclusive task force to like really talk to people and say, well, what, what is it that you want? That can be part of like getting to a profile of graduate, but also can then be saying, how do we enact this in reality? There are places that are doing pilots around personalized competency-based education. So Washington State is a great example. Utah, there's lots of different examples of states that are doing this. So how do we actually set up opportunities for schools to test out, like, what does it look like to make this shift? How do we provide some support? Hopefully, how do we measure some success and start to understand, like, what's changing about the student culture as you start to shift this conversation? Mm-hmm. And some places have done more, like, innovation zones. So, not all of those are necessarily focused. They're, they can be focused on different things, but there are a lot of innovation zones that are focused on deeper learning, competency-based, personalized, allowing space for schools to do things differently. That can be a way to identify other barriers in the system that, oh, when we try to do this differently, we still have to kind of convert back to the other way in order to like meet this requirement. Mm-hmm. 
Wonderful. I would love to shift a little bit and really focus on centering students with learning differences. So like, how does your work, how does the work of Aurora Institute in general center students with learning differences? Well, fundamentally, we're really trying to transform systems so that every student, all students can thrive. And so the design is really around meeting every student where they're at and helping them to know where they're at and have a pathway to their growth. So when you have a fully realized system, like it is going to meet truly every learner where they're at. And some people think like, oh, well, how can a teacher then have like a a lesson plan for a hundred students? I think there's lessons to learn from special education world. What does it mean to have a personalized visual education plan? I think the key that that needs to be present is that it's really about the student driving, the student being present and and developing their agency. Mm -hmm. So it's not about the teacher guiding every step. And then the student is just, what am I doing today? It's really starting to build that capacity for agency is both fundamental to the everyday learning, where I know what I'm learning. I'm making choices um, that are going to work for me. I'm being supported and, and stuff. There's there's structure there, but I know what I'm learning and why, and I have a sense of where I want to go with that. And that agency is also like a product, right? It is one of the outcomes, right? When you think of those graduate profiles, like people want their children to be self-directed, to make a difference in the world. So then how do you then build that capacity by actually using it in the learning process, right? And providing space for like reflection and feedback, both receiving it and giving it so that you can then make informed choices about, you know, about your life, about your learning, about your career, all things. And it builds your efficacy as an individual, you know, that you can do things and you believe that you can do things and you've been given the safe structured place to try things out and to ask questions and to get feedback and to contribute to the conversation rather than all of the responsibility, like you said, falling on the teacher and just doing what somebody else is telling you really limits an individual's thinking and and efficacy and how they feel about where they are in the world. Yeah, absolutely. And I think even for like learners who are quote unquote, very successful in the existing model. And I can say this as someone uh, years ago called his children compliant. I have two kids who are compliance scholars. And I was like, oh, that was me. Um, (laughs) You know, like, you know how to do school. It's comfortable, but you're doing it in this kind of narrow frame where you know how to get the A, but you're doing it to get the A. And, you know, eventually, right? Like, I'd like to think eventually I kind of like said, oh, okay, there's a larger purpose to this, Mm -hmm. but that's not what was driving me, you know, and that's, I think, not necessarily what's driving those high achievers. Mm -hmm. So even for them thinking about, well, how do you make space for, you know, reaching and trying and like pushing into something that is unfamiliar so that you are then prepared. And some people can kind of, they can kind of keep going on that, like getting the, Mm -hmm. getting the degree, getting the grade, but eventually, right. If you really want to reach that next level of growth, how are, you know, do you have that broader set of skills Yeah, to navigate when the infrastructure isn't so rigid? And you have more choice. (laughs) Exactly. I mean, I think that's like kind of fundamentally one of the pieces of like, what does it mean to transform learning? It is not, you know, it is about what you are learning, but it's also about, do I know how to learn? So it's teaching, like Mm -hmm. learning how to learn so that when you enter the world and like, it is changing fast. I feel like when I say now, like when you give that, you know, handshake at the graduation stage, like, are you really ready for the world? 
you know, we can't really guarantee that. We don't even know how the world's going to change. But if we teach kids how to learn and how to navigate and adapt, and actually, again, that can feel nebulous, but you can build that in. If you want kids to be self-directed and you never give them any choice, then how can they possibly learn how to be self-directed, right? So you got to really rethink like how we're approaching from, from the teaching and learning and the pedagogy. How do you create that space to allow that learning to happen? Wonderful. And I think you've already talked about it somewhat in bringing up how to center students with learning differences, but are there any other particular challenges that you are focusing on or hearing about a lot right now? I mean, I think broadly, you know, all of this work is driven around like equitable systems change. How do we redesign? You know, by definition, we don't want it to be one size fits all. And that also can make it harder to like have the evidence of like what is working. So a lot of this work is building in what we know from the learning sciences. It is premise and intending to focus on and embed equity in everything. And I think, how do we really examine that and make sure that that's happening? Because the implementation, right, this is not a linear process, right? So how do you kind of think about what does it look like to measure progress in a different way? What are the new metrics, the new ways of knowing, like the new partnerships between research and practitioners Mm -hmm. that can really think about where are we falling into inadvertently like recreating inequities that exist? And how do we really pay attention to that? So I think that's a broader piece around elevating equity and thinking about where are those partnerships. You know, we know a lot about how to do this, but there's still a lot to be learned. And fundamentally, there's like a partnership and like it has to be, I think it's best works best when there's a process that's really inclusive. So how do we make sure we're allowing for that, even as we want to like, this is urgent. Like our system is designed to get outcomes that are not equitable. And we see that. So there is some urgency to really thinking about the transformation and it can't really be imposed. Well, you've had a lot of wonderful insight to share today, and I would love to connect it back to the Educating All Learners Alliance. Part of our primary work is helping to create a pathway to possible for educators and organizations across the country. Can you give any other examples of approaches to creating that path forward for education innovation and policy practices? Yeah, I'll start with a kind of a little like a big frame of like, it is possible, right? (laughs) Like we are, but people are doing it in lots of different ways. And I think part of what I hope Aurora's role in this is to elevate that and highlight it and think about how do we bring coherence to these different approaches in a way that showcases that People are doing this work and there's a lot that's possible. It doesn't have to be all the same. And at the same time, how can we connect across that so that we can see that this is a larger effort? And really thinking about, so on all levels, it's about aligning, right? If you want to center students and educate every learner, how can you have that mindset? There's a lot of different areas where change is needed and how do we better align? So I think really taking that approach and thinking about when things are out of alignment, how do we actually start to have that conversation? So thinking everything from federal and state policy that can be incentivizing things, but just thinking about like teacher, modernizing the teacher training workforce. So how can we have more learner-centered methods infused into teacher training programs? And there are models for that. How are we growing our own and giving opportunities for kids who have 
come up in student-centered systems? How are we supporting them to consider then becoming a teacher? And I think that helps that mindset shift. So where are we really supporting the mindset shift and having that conversation? Because it's sometimes it's hard to teach if you didn't have that opportunity to learn in that way. Not just about our young students and children learning in a student-centered way or a learner-centered way. It's not like then they become adults who don't get to learn in a learner-centered way. <laughs> so I think it is possible and it's not a checklist. It doesn't come in a box. And I think that some of the mindset shift is like, but this is possible, mm-hmm. right? It's doable. And you start by taking stock of what you've done. Usually there's assets to build on. Mm-hmm. Um, so what can you build on? It's about engaging your community. What do we really want for our children? And where are we doing that? And where are we not doing that? And then thinking about how do you then start to make it okay to try new things, right? Um, People are like, what's the evidence that this is the better way? You're like, well, on one hand, right, we've built in the learning sciences and we can look at a lot of places where the learning sciences are not represented in this Mm -hmm. status quo or how most places are doing school. So we're building that in. So we we know it's not working. So we got to start to try and learn from that. And, you know, I think building that evidence base. So I think specific examples. So I mentioned like New Mexico, like revisiting their uh, high school graduation requirements. So that's a great example where they have an innovation zone and they're supporting schools to develop their own profiles of a graduate capstone projects that are aligned with that, right? So something that's really driven by the student Mm -hmm. and demonstrates that graduate profile. They're developing work-based learning and really investing in that. And they're starting to think about, oh, okay, if we're going to do that, these big things, how does the day-to-day start to change, right? So it's opening this conversation to say, how can we be preparing kids for these cool, future-focused experiences. And then that's generating a lot of conversation. People are connecting across. And it's still very much like rooted in engaging local communities. In some ways, you could say, well, are all graduate profiles basically the same? Like You could take that perspective, but it's actually the process of creating that and saying, what is our unique vision for our learners? How do we want to talk about it? And that process is really powerful. I think South Carolina is another great example where they started, again, with a state profile of a graduate and a kind of personalized South Carolina alliance that was outside of the agency of education, but then partnered. And then they created some prototype competencies aligned to the profile of a graduate that make it actionable and observable because you can think like critical thinking you can you can have people have like critical thinking competencies but then it you know it looks different in different disciplines so how do you kind of break that down in a way that's like very observable and that you can kind of be building it across disciplines and then they're supporting and encouraging schools the state department of education has convened networks of schools to collaborate and work they've provided opportunities for technical assistance they have hybrid and online learning modules So there's lots of different entry points into making the shift. So that's another example. A number of places have had pilots, again, with some combination of starting with exploration, providing some funding that's helpful to start things off. But it also then is like, how do schools rethink how they're allocating their their current resources, right, to support the change so that it's not like a new thing, but this is just the way that we're working. But that 
funding in the transition, I think, can be really helpful for creating more time and space for building capacity. There's lots of examples. <laughs> I don't know, maybe I'll give like a couple of like school level examples. New Hampshire based, um, but Virtual Learning Academy Charter School is fully competency based. They had more traditional, it's like feels like the wrong word, but, you know, sort of like class based, <laughs> competency based learning. But they've also then designed like learning through projects, which is more uh, learner centered. A lot of them are focused around like exploring like how we you use this competency in a real career. So again, competency-based and personal doesn't mean that everything is like open-ended and determined by the learner, right? There can be some more structure, but then there can be some more project-based and student-driven. So that's a good example. I think Building 21 has a couple of schools in Pennsylvania, and they have been very generous at like putting out their competencies and really rethinking how to structure the learning experience to not just be, oh, now you're taking English class and now you're taking math class, but to make it more real-world and interdisciplinary. I think almost every state has as some movement where they're trying to build capacity, connect people through networks, create some some space and incentive to try new things. I think how far that goes, right? I think that's where you have to start to say, okay, when when we run up against something that is holding the current system in place, how can we investigate that and align it and redesign it, true redesign in a way that's going to allow every learner to thrive and be future ready? Wonderful. Well, as we close out today, any final thoughts or a key takeaway that you want to leave our listeners with? Sure. I think that there's not one right way to do this, but we have a lot of examples and ideas. You don't have to start from scratch. So I think we're ready to say, like, let's try things and learn. Let's have a, I don't know, an age of implementation, mm-hmm. um, but not with fidelity to like, you have to do it this way. Like, let's do it with like integrity to our local contexts, to our kids, to our history of what we've tried and how we've grown and really think about investing in that. It's possible. And we just have to start doing it and learning and sharing, being able to share like, oh, we need to pivot, right? We, we tried something, we learned. It's okay that if you don't get it right, like it's not, it's cyclical, it, it's meandering, but if you don't take action, you're not gonna change things. Wonderful. That's a great note to, to end on. And thank you so much for joining us today, Lori. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. This was, was really fun. <laughs>